Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, and welcome back to Godsplaining. Uh, I don't know that I had to have sounded surprised at the start of this episode <laughs> on account of the fact that I'm the one who pushed record. So why it always strikes me as something entirely unforeseen, I have no idea. But I'm here with uh, Father Joseph Anthony, uh, Father Joseph Anthony Howdy. in Charlottesville, Virginia. You want to say hello? What's up? A word? What's crack a uh, Yeah, I feel I feel super like uh, fascinated at this setup right now because I'm like looking like I'm recording from a basement in Afghanistan somewhere. And Greg, you're like, you're looking good. You're looking good. You know, good lighting. And then Matt, you're immaculate. My goodness. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Well, the ca- the camera quality is immaculate. I don't know if yeah. what it's focused on is, but. Hey, man, don't deflect. Just own it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we here on God's Planning are doing our best to increase audio and video quality, and we thank you for uh, the support that you have provided to make that happen. Uh, a couple of us are in the middle of moves right now, so I'm coming back from Switzerland, going back to Switzerland. Father Joseph Anthony, they just built a church, and his present office space is in a dumpster. Um, yeah. Just kidding, but seriously. And then Father, Father Patrick is moving, so we're all like oddsy So thanks for your patience with our quality concerns. But no more of that. Let's welcome our guest for this month's guest planning. We're happy to welcome on this episode of Pints with God's planning on God with Pints planning on <laughs> guest planning, uh, Matt Fred. Matt Fred, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing very well. Am I coming through clear with the microphone? Oh, yeah. Does that oh, sound yeah. good? Okay, good. No, I'm doing fantastic. I'm having a really fantastic day, actually. It's been just Boom. lovely. Mm, yeah. Hey. I'll leave awesome. it at that. Nice and cryptic. <laughs> It's like, did you win the lottery, or do you have a bunch of scratchy lottery tickets in your pocket, and you're anticipating the fact that you're going to win the lottery? Uh, Those are all the two options. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we thought on this episode that we would talk a little bit about community, uh, the reason for which is this. Well, people are kind of coming back into the light, out of the darkness, uh, after 15 months of COVID time. And, um, you know, in a certain sense, you just kind of get back on the horse or start again riding the bicycle that you hadn't forgotten how to ride. Right, what a helpful metaphor. But in another sense, too, it's, it's weird because we've gotten accustomed to living life at a distance. So maybe just a way by which to meditate on our relationships, on our friendships, talk a little bit about community. So if you would, maybe just uh, describe a little bit, you know, maybe like some landmarks in your life because you have done some moving around, you've experienced community in a variety of settings. Maybe just give us a, give us a sketch. Grew up in a small country town in South Australia, became a kind of convinced Catholic when I was 17, had a conversion to our Lord, came back, just desperately wanted to be with people who loved Jesus and wanted to do life together, served with Net Ministries, which is a group that travels around running retreats for high school students, did that in Canada and Ireland. Uh, my wife and I got married, and I think it was because of that experience with Net and living with other people and doing life in common uh, that has just always, we've always known it existed, and so it's hard to settle for anything less. And so January, we moved our family to Steubenville, Ohio, and couldn't, couldn't be happier about it. Uh, here's an example of community. Uh, just yesterday, oh no, Saturday, I texted one of my friends on my street and I said, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? I didn't get a text back right away, so I walked to another friend's house on the street, got their lawnmower, pushed it back, and when I arrived, I saw my other friend with his lawnmower. So now I've got two lawnmowers 
on my front doorstep. <laughs> and I think that's just kind of a cool way to illustrate how beautiful community can be and at least is for us right now. It's all walking distance, so many good families. And I don't know, when I think of community, I think being able to show up on somebody's door with a bottle of wine and just impose yourself upon them and they have the freedom to do the same. <laughs> um, and that's coming from an introvert, you know, so um, I, I, love, I love it. Boom. Um, maybe, maybe just talk a little bit about your experience with net. So I think, uh, when people, uh, kind of try out these different evangelical groups or evangelical, um, kind of mission oriented partners, I suppose, uh, there, there's this real emphasis on building communion, not only with the people to whom you address the gospel, but with the people with yeah. whom you address the God, you know, so like you, you have a sense of the community of your team mm -hmm. being an invitation to other people to join Christian community and for you in a special way, because you know, you, that's where you met Cameron. What's it like, you know, community as the setting for welcoming others into community. What's your experience of that been like? And mm. maybe some word about that. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, on net, you, on our team, we had six guys and six girls and we were encouraged to build up our brotherhood and the sisters were encouraged to build up their sisterhood. The idea was if you had a strong brotherhood and a strong sisterhood, you would have a solid team and that you wouldn't want to bring to a sister what should only be brought to a brother. And this was really new to me at the time because I grew up going to parties on the weekends, drinking too much and then reading poetry to some girl under the starlit South Australian sky and wasn't terribly interested in having deep loving relationships with men unless I had like four or five beers in me and I was saying things like dude I just want you to know that I really respect you and stuff like I just love you and like I don't know how that sounds but like but um it really kind of taught me you know like that you can have beautiful friendships really you know with with men and that's who you ought to be kind of bringing that question of like how do I be a man how do I live this life how do I love God as a man to another brother so that was a really cool growing experience for me also, the growing experience on net was was going on net thinking that we would never fight or annoy each other. I actually had that thought in my head. Uh, I actually remember people saying, well, just, you know, you have to live with them. It gets kind of annoying and it can be difficult and really difficult sometimes. I thought, how could that be true? Like, I'm coming from a small country town where none of my friends love Jesus. I'm going to live with people who want to proclaim the gospel. But then three months in, the way your brother squeezed his toothpaste makes you want to slap him. Um, <laughs> So that was difficult too. And then like growing through that, there being nowhere to go, nowhere to escape. Uh, and then seeing how through that, through those difficult times, friendships can grow all the deeper. And so I've kind of carried that into living community here in Steubenville, where it's like you, you realize that it's not enough to have, I don't know, multiple friendly encounters. There has to be something of substance and even sometimes disagreement and adversity to kind of forge that relationship. Uh, but then on the on the flip side, sounds like I'm speaking out of the other side of my mouth now. Um, there's no sort of rep there's no substitute for history. So like on the flip side, it's like I can't just have one profound conversation with you and you and I be really close friends. It, it, there is part of it where it involves just multiple mundane encounters where the two of you gradually come to know each other, uh, and and that bond becomes forged as well. So. In a day and age such as ours, a very secular day and age, it's pushing all sorts of uh, perverse things upon us, especially in this month. It's I think it's really important that we that we have good friends that we can pray for and pray with and do life with, and who, as a as a married man, my children can be around and look to them as good, loving husbands and fathers. 
Yeah, Matt, when you were talking about the like beautiful aspects of community where it's like, hey, you can just show up on their front porch and impose yourself into their life, but also vice versa. Um, there's, I think sometimes this expectation that community is just easy. It's just because we always like naturally click and it's super organic and, and just, it hits the ground running. But uh, I think that the strongest communities are those, like you were saying, that are kind of like built through kind of some aspects of conflict. But how is it that you can like enter into, um, you know, situations that are not naturally disposed to that or super organic easy way of community like how, how is it that when you're uh in different areas that you can actually intentionally build community in that way yeah before i answer that i'm reminded of a line from dostoevsky in the idiot uh he says something like it's imp it's important to get to know people gradually uh, because Ooh. otherwise they might um do something that puts something in your mind about them that's not too easily dislodged as it were you know what i mean like so if you met me on a day that i've just had five cups of coffee you know or or you've met me and i'm in a bad i'm in a bad mood i just don't really want to talk to people like it's so easy for that first impression you're like oh that he's that kind of person yeah. as opposed to kind of allowing that person the same grace that we would like other people to allow us so that we can sort of naturally unfold before them you know so i've already had instances in Steubenville where i've encountered somebody and I don't. I didn't say this in my head, but I had this feeling like, okay, so like w we won't be friends, but already like this person I'm thinking of is one of my best friends here in Steubenville already, um, and and so that's cool. Uh, as far as how to build community intentionally, one thing we did in Atlanta and San Diego before then is we would have uh, monthly potluck nights. Uh, we would call it open porch, where we would just say everybody's welcome and everybody has to bring something to share, um, and then the only real prayer of the night was grace. And then we would all just sit around, have a drink, have a smoke, eat food, be merry. Um, usually at the end of the night, if there's a, you know, only a few people left, we might pray together uh, more intentionally, say the rosary or something else. But that was really cool. I remember people being really shocked by that. Like we, you, you, I can just come around every Thursday night or every first Thursday or every first Sunday. Yes, it's always on. You don't have to ask us. Just show up. If we're not home, like use the back door. Come in. We don't care. Um, <laughs> So I've always really loved that. I, I think like, I, I'm not really sure what I mean by this. I, well, maybe I do, but love seems to create a space for another. Like if you've ever known like a, a man and a woman who've been deeply in love and, and are very comfortable in each other's relationship, you just sort of felt, feel brought into that. It creates a space as it were. Um, and, and that's something I would like to, us to replicate as a family, just kind of welcome people in, that they mm. can just come and be who they are. Now that's ideally and doesn't always go great. But I mean, we've had you know open porch nights with well over a hundred people who are just showing up and it's just i i love that now i i don't think everyone loves that um yeah but i i do <laughs> so with respect to so love creating a space i think about that often when you're sometimes when you're with couples i i had this experience in college sometimes you're with couples and the couples are like always touching each other slash like looking into each other's eyes slash being annoying and you're like i don't <laughs> want to spend time with you ever yeah. again but then sometimes you'd be with like in college you'd be with couples who um who were great you know they just kind of like welcomed you into a conversation you found that their relationship was a kind of invitation for you to be at ease and to enjoy their company and i found that really delightful and i think that that's I don't know exactly how it's related, but I feel like chastity is somehow related to that insofar as the love is ordered, insofar as the love is open to life concretely in terms of, you know, like children when you're married, but like just kind of like the lives of others, it's kind of promotes the lives of others. Mm. Uh, it's, it's better as it were. And I'm, I'm thinking, so with respect to chastity, with respect to building community, you also do a lot of work 
you know, with Strive 21 and beyond that, giving talks about pornography. And then you just talked about, you know, the struggles that a lot of men have with, with building, you know, good male friendships. Maybe, maybe just like your thoughts on, on this idea of, so pornography addiction, growing in chastity, creating a space, like the opportunity for love. Um, men, I suppose, many of whom feel at sea when it comes to friendship. Like, what's, what's, what's the hope that lies in store for them? What's the hope that lies in store for who? Men who aren't used to having good male friends or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That in part. Yeah, but just like guys for whom this conversation is still a little bit like, I don't know. I think, uh, all, I, think I, I mean, I, I think all men desire it. I, I, it's sad that we live in a day and age where all affection is sexualized. And I know there's a lot of fear for about the you know Amazon adopting or bringing in the new Lord of the Rings and what they'll do with that. It's like, does does modern man know how to portray a loving friendship between men without sexualizing it? I guess we'll see. But I think it was done really well, obviously in Tolkien's masterpiece, but even in you know uh, Jackson's trilogy, you just see this tremendous love and affection between two men, and a man who knows who he is and what he's about. Um, I don't think is is intimidated by that um, or or easily put off by that. Maybe that's part of the fear we have for growing in strong male bonds is that everything's sexualized and, you know, that, that might be part of it. Uh, what was your question about pornography? Pornography with respect to – so I, I suspect that men – I mean men revert to pornography because they're addicted to it, because they're exposed to it at a young age, in part because they don't think they, they can get over it, but also because – they don't, they don't have a, an alternative to it, right, in the form of friendship, in the form of genuine community, in the form of others mm. who kind of invite them, welcome That's them into a place yeah. of freedom, of human relationship. I don't know, like maybe just some of your experiences with people yeah. with whom you've chatted. Yeah, I think, I think 10 years ago, if you were to listen to a Catholic, including myself, give a talk on pornography, you would have heard a lot of tips and tricks. You know, yeah. like move the computer into a high trafficked area and get covenantized and make sure you never do this and, and be aware of your triggers and, and all of that's still important. We should continue saying that today. But I think uh, at least the conversations I'm in today with those who are helping people overcome pornography are going much deeper, right? Yeah. It, it really, we, we're beginning to realize that when I turn to pornography, I, I'm, I'm seeking in this thing what I ought to be finding in Christ, my actual refuge. And so if I'm honest, I'm, I'm calling porn my refuge and for many of us who grew up with pornography uh, to quote my friend uh, father sean kilcoley it's become like a friend that i don't want to have to leave you know mm. the, my friend was there when my dad was angry with me yeah. as a kid and he was with me through my parents divorce you know not my parents divorce but you know people might think that or, uh, they, they were with me when i was rejected in high school like this friend of mine pornography was always there for me and there's like a real grieving almost that has to happen where you have to fire pornography and say, I, th I don't need you, I don't want you anymore, I, and I need something else to fill that void. So I, th I think thinking of pornography like that can be helpful as a sort of refuge to deal with our kind of emotional chaos and turbulence. But I think when we're in kind of right relationship with others and they are helping to meet our needs and we are helping to meet their needs in that place of community, I think temptation to pornography is still going to happen but it's a lot less enticing i found that especially with our college students the men of our ministry and the men here at this university um they they're not so much seeking pornography because of the intense pleasure they're seeking it because of the desire for intimacy and they find that like because this is 
the dealings with pornography and masturbation becomes really the only place of how they know how to deal with the intimate desires of their heart, then they struggle uh, to overcome that unless they have a proper sp space with their male peers to start to overcome that and that know that they have a support and, and structure with that. And I see it often with men that are starting to discern priestly vocations. You know, I'll sit down with them and I'm like, hey, like, who else have you talked to about this? Oh, God, nobody. Nobody. I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody. Because at the core, a priestly vocation is a movement of intimacy in the heart. And they've been trained the way you deal with intimate desires and intimate longings is in the shadows alone in isolation. And to like then try to pull that out is like actually what you deal, how you deal with intimacy is in the community of, of fraternity and <sighs> men to strengthen you. And so pornography has really just wreaked havoc on community. Um, and it, once, once our men are starting to have freedom from that, then the fraternity and vocations, both to marriage and the priesthood are just, uh, are, are cranking up because they have a proper place and know how to deal with the intimate desires of their heart. I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now. So I'm reading, I'm, I'm hearing <laughs> everything through that lens, Yeah. but there's that beautiful part in the beginning of the fellowship of the ring where Gandalf's talking to Frodo about Gollum. And it talks about him going into the shadowy dark places mm. away from grass yeah. and tree and stick where the ring ate his mind. And he found that there was nothing to find. There was nothing there just bitter remembering or something to, to that effect. And I think that's what pornography does. It, it promises us this world of joy and intimacy and, and, and ecstasy. And it gives us some of that initially or else we wouldn't be tempted to it. But it just, we just end up in a dark cave, bored and bloody miserable and less just kind of in a shadowy world with shadowy brides. And that's, that's no good place to live. And I don't think anyone sober would say they want to remain there. Um, at this point in the episode, we usually take a break, but if we're honest, it's completely artificial and we don't need to. So let's just keep going. Um, so I want to <laughs> follow up go. this thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know what it says. I, I remembered at one point what it says, but let's just keep going. Um, so, okay, so out of, the, out of the shadows, into the light. I think about this too in the present setting, right, when we've kind of gotten mm -hmm. accustomed to doing things online. And we've discovered, right, that it's possible to live online. And that you don't actually need to see other human beings. Like when I explain to people that in Freeburg I don't have courses, uh, they're like, wait a second. Then why would you go back, right? Because you could just write your dissertation here and then occasionally Zoom with your director. And then you could just – you could do that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I'm going to go back, and here's 18 reasons why. Uh, and it's not a rejection of you. It's an affirmation of something else. Now, in your case, so you have this excellent ministry with Pints with Aquinas, and you are you know, of service to a lot of people online. But then there's also this desire to kind of humanize the thing. So you, know, you planned this kind of summer seminar in Norcia that was canceled by COVID, but then you, you, know, like you were one of the first people to have a retreat in the North Georgia Hills when such a thing became available. So how does one, you know, so with the availability of everything online, what, how, do, how do we address or how do we realize this need for genuine human communion in person? And like, what can we do in a certain sense to push against the tendency or to push back against the tendency just to move everything onto Zoom and then die at our desks? That's such a great question. I imagine everyone in the world would say, at least theoretically, that this isn't entirely healthy. Even if we haven't reaped the repercussions of it yet, 
even if we aren't seeing the consequences consequences of it yet, I am, I would imagine that most people would realize we should get together again, right? Like there was something <laughs> about that incarnational gathering that you can't replicate over Zoom. I was actually having a chat with a friend of mine today, a good friend, and he said to me, Matt, if I'm honest, sometimes I feel like you only text me when, when you need something. And, that may, and my fear is that you don't actually like care about me, you know? And he knew that that wasn't true, but he was just sort of expressing his heart to me. I said, well, I think both are true. Like I do care about you and I do text you when I want something. And it made us get into this conversation about how weird phones are, right? Because I would imagine like, it's very unnatural. This is very unnatural. We're meant to live life with the people in our area. But then when you bring a phone or a computer into the situation and you can now have this intimate relationship with somebody at a great distance who you don't meet with and encounter with day to day. And I suppose that's better than nothing. Like if your only options are small country town, no one my age to commune with, or I can chat with people every day on Zoom, that's obviously a better option. But what I want, and I think what most people want, would be to live in a thriving human flesh and blood community. Um, so here in Steubenville, we have what's called First Fridays. So the first Friday of every month, we have a massive street party downtown. And we all just kind of get together and be together. And it's, it's just beautiful. There's, there's nothing quite like it. So I don't know if you're asking for a solution. I don't know if I have one. I guess I would just say that like Zoom can be something of a counterfeit, but it's still better than nothing. But we shouldn't settle for better than nothing. You know, we should settle for best or what could be a community I could enter into and really participate in and give myself to. I remember when we got back to to school, uh, when the fall semester started after a summer of COVID and all that fun stuff, there were students that I, I would talk to and they're like, it's so nice to be at mass again. Like, father, is it okay if I really hated live streaming mass? I was like, yes, exactly. You should. They're like, but like, <laughs> is it bad to hate that? I was like, no, because there's a difference between being connected and being present. And I think everybody was longing to be in the presence of the Lord. Mm. Now it was good to be connected. It was in, in times where we, that was all we had, but it's still, it still didn't satisfy everything because our hearts are made to be with one another and to be in each other's presence. And so I, I think when it comes to the community, that there's this deep need as we're coming out of COVID and taking masks off and traveling, like everybody wants to be with each other now because that we've experienced this total lack of forcing to only be connected, but never be present in or in each other's presence and it, how deeply we hunger for that and we're made for that. Yeah, and even if we don't feel the sort of artificiality of Zoom and we don't really understand what we're talking about right now, I still think you should try to be with people because um, just because we're not detecting something within ourselves. Like, no, I feel totally satisfied. I think there's the, the answer is, well, you shouldn't be. Like, mm. you shouldn't be satisfied. Yeah. So if you are satisfied with Zoom masses and Zoom meetings and no face-to-face -face interaction, you're wrong to wrong to be satisfied with that. <laughs> and even if I don't know why, I somehow know that that's true. Um, so getting together with, with a friend or a couple is a lovely thing. Over This is why I'm a big uh, fan of cigars, as Father Pine knows. I understand <laughs> it'll give me throat cancer, but the other thing it does is that it forces <laughs> me to sit down for an hour with a friend yeah. who must also sit there because a cigar isn't fun walking. Unless you're like really addicted, you probably wouldn't do that. 
you know, you smoke, smack one down. It, there's something lovely about sitting with somebody and committing to a time of just communing. A cigar does that. Beer does that. Of course, other things do that. Board games do that. Uh, cups of tea do that. But these are, it's so sad that we're talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> like, man, we are suck. We suck. Our ancestors would be shaking their heads like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> so here's a question. All right. So I, th- I think a lot of people are in the exper- or they're in the kind of circumstances where much of their lives will be, you know, through Zoom, and they don't have any choice in the matter. It's like the company realized over the course of the last 15 months that they can basically produce at just as good a clip, and then they don't have to pay for office space. So congratulations, you're working from home, you're working from a coffee shop. See you once every three months when we get together for a community. I've got happy the perfect hour. perfect answer <laughs> for this. All right. So the question is, how do you how do you humanize? I'm thinking about you in terms of like Pines with Aquinas. So you could you could zoom with everybody under the sun, but you have people into the studio. It's important to you to like meet with them insofar as that's possible, stuff like that. So so how do you how do you humanize when everyone else seems content to to drift? Well, I think here's an answer to this. If you are working for a company that has realized that you no longer need to be in the office necessarily and you can do a lot of your work online, move to Steubenville. (laughs) <laughs> move to run down broken down drug addicts and prostitutes and and scott hahn not in <laughs> hanging out together but like, wait one of these three is not like the other <laughs> <laughs> uh, c- come and be here and live here or find some community to go be a yeah. part of i mean in a way that's kind of liberating you, you don't have to be stuck in that one place where you have to drive 40 minutes to a friend's house and 30 minutes to mass and an hour through traffic anymore Okay, then find a solid Catholic community where you can come and plant yourself and commit yourself until death and then do community with them while you do your Zoom things in the office hours. But yeah, I, um, for Pints with Aquinas, so I, we're really getting to the point now where I don't really do online interviews anymore. We're trying to schedule out all of next year. So we're flying somebody in uh, almost every week so that we can just sit in person and talk um, there's no substitute for that there's not i was thinking about this the other day because i was having a a text exchange with some folks and it was like yeah maybe we should like make this really important decision and we should do it you know in a text message and i was like uh um i was like maybe not because i can't (laughs) hear the tone of your voice and you can't hear the tone of my voice and the chances of us kind of upsetting each other without even realizing it or trying to do so are decently high and uh, it strikes me like this is the type of thing that should be, you know, chatted through and determined yeah. in person. And that's not yeah, it's, it's not just a matter of like higher stakes things ought to be determined in person or potentially sensitive things ought to be determined in person. But it's just like uh, human things ought to be determined in person. Mm. Um, the observations that you made with respect to your friend, like uh, if you're if you're the, the type of communication signals that this is a friendship of use or this is a friendship of pleasure. But if you really want to communicate in the communicating of whatever information or whatever request, like this is a friendship of virtue or this is a, a true friendship, it seems like the proper setting and meeting them are, yeah, it's just, it seems like you got to get close for that. I don't know you exactly. Know, yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting is um, I think one argument in favor of the fact that we ought to be together is the fact that no one who's doing a meeting these days seems to be okay just doing a phone meeting. Like we're all mm. doing Zoom. So why is it that we need that additional thing? Why do I need to see you if I can just hear you? If I hear you, I can do it in the car. I can do it while I'm running errands. It's, it's almost like we, we want to make it as natural as possible. 
So yeah. one way to make it as natural as possible is actually to try to meet with a flesh and blood human being. And so that's interesting. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, it, I, I guess they're like, there used to be a, a genre for that, you know, like the voice call. Um, but now voice call is interpreted as a rejection of the video call. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if I do a voice call with you, it's because I'm folding my laundry and I don't want you to see that. You know, wow. if I'm doing a voice call for you, that's um. like, because I'm in the car and I'm driving from A to B. And if I were to do video, then I would end up in a fiery wreck. It's like, it's, it's fascinating. It is. Yeah, so there's, there's a movement in that direction. Well, every, uh, every year I take a month off of the internet and uh, that's coming up this August, and that's just a way for me to—I don't know—I think I, I have a real love-hate relationship with technology, and uh, <laughs> I just get so excited about this month off. I've been doing it for three years now. The last day of July, I literally give my phone away, give my computer away, have someone change the password because I have no self-control on my desktop, and then get a dumb phone and just spend a month just reading and walking and trying to remember what it was like to, to live that way. And I just find that so incredibly rehabilitating. And I understand that most people can't do that. And that really is a luxury and a blessing in my life. I mean, I've got to work my butt off through July to get to have there be enough shows to release in August. But, you know, I, I, I just fail to see how people can't incorporate something like that into their week, like leave the phone at the office or leave it somewhere over the weekend. And that's just something I've been doing more and more fully aware that I'm going to be upsetting people or people will be texting me and they will be wondering why I did not get back to them. And I, I don't want them to be upset. I don't want them to be offended. And it's really nothing personal, but I would rather offend them and be present to my family than for my family to feel neglected while I check my email for the fifth time when I ought to be playing Legos with my son so that you feel validated who lives 100 miles away and who I chat with, you know, a couple of times a year or a month. Like, you aren't as important to me as my family. So why am I treating you that way? People text each other today like they're in the same room as each other today. So you text me and say, hey, how are you? And then your phone tells you whether I've read that or not and if you see that I've read it, you're offended if I don't reply to you in the same time frame that I would if you were in the room with me. This is insanity. Am I the only one who realizes this is insane? We shouldn't be bloody living like this. Anyway, that's how I feel. There you go. So the, the episode... Am I the... Do you, honest, honest question, though, because yeah. I do sometimes think I'm insane here because I don't see people with the same outrage that I seem to have about this technologically <laughs> obsessed culture. Do you not feel that way as well? You can say I feel no. that way. No, no, I do feel that way in certain part because I I think of the the phone is in like in large in large part it is a tool for my convenience, right? But it's connected to tools for your convenience. Ah, you that's being persons A, B, C, D, E, and F. And I think it's in the process of that interconnectivity that things get somewhat ambiguous, like expectation wise. Because this is for my convenience, but it's, it's hooked up with a thing that's for your convenience. And you're oh, interacting with your device profound. for your convenience. I'm interacting with my device for my convenience. And it's like, so we kind of have to establish the grounds on which we meet. And I think for you to say what you said, you know, helps you to establish those grounds with your friends. It's like, when I say my convenience, I mean like this is entirely subordinate to my family life. When I, when I say that, it means something different because I don't have four kids and I no longer play with right. Legos. Um, I play with puzzles. Just kidding, but seriously, uh, just in quarantine. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, that's, that's fascinating, Father. That's really, really insightful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to think about that more. Yeah, 
I mean, but see, the other thing is like how technology changes the way we communicate, obviously. So I remember last year, I, I went down from a smartphone to one of these light phones. I lasted a month and I had to go back. And the, I think the reason for that, one thing I didn't realize upon getting the light phone is that m many people text instead of calling. And so they will text paragraphs to you. And unless you have comparable technology, you cannot, with as the same amount of ease, text paragraph answers back. So here yeah. I am with this dumb phone. It takes me five minutes to write a word. And you've <laughs> just asked me, hey, how's it going? What are you up to today? Like, how's Cameron? My wife, you know, how's she doing? Ah! Uh, call me or something you know so it's like i don't know like at some point i don't want to have to be a slave to the advancement of technology i'd i'd and again i don't want to offend people and i, I want people to reach out to me I, i'm always gratified to hear from people and and there can certainly be an element of selfishness in that as well i suppose if i if i want this for my convenience i can ask you something whenever i want but i don't reciprocate but um, yeah, I just I just know the experience of being with my family and wondering whether I got that email yet. And mm. even if I don't go and get my phone, my brain is now divided between yeah. what I ought to be focused on and what I don't need to be focused on. Um, yeah. And I don't have the same, actually, I, I take that back. I don't think I'm special. I think most of us don't have the kind of self-control to deal with that. And so I think putting like real significant barriers in between technology and those people we wish to do life with is important. And I'm probably not doing it nearly as much as I ought to be. Yeah, they've done sociological studies like if a phone is on the table at which persons are conversing, you know, like the quality of that conversation, you know, is reduced by a factor of whatever, 35%, made up numbers, you know, hundred percent. statistics, yeah. So yeah, statistics are just that way. You can just say whatever the heck you want and then just say like, more or less. Um, yeah. So yeah, on account of the fact that when a phone is introduced, there's another person present and that person is just a clamorous source of demands. That, totally. that person is a sea of infinite needs uh, because the internet's a place and it's a place containing people and those people are all, are all available. Uh, insofar as they make themselves such. So, yeah, maybe maybe just kind of by way of rounding out the scoring and bringing it back, like community, right? Community is a thing that's ordered hierarchically, not in the sense of, like, the people on the top are there to oppress the people on the bottom, but in the sense that, like, there are communities that are more principled, there are communities that are more important. In your case, you know, that of God and family. In our case, you know, that of God and God. And also God um, <laughs> and the brethren just after like four mentions of God. Um, so, and that, that, that those relationships actually give shape to the other relationships that come in turn, you know, they should, they should contribute to those relationships. They shouldn't detract from those relationships. And, you know, every couple, you know, every, every partner who has tried to troubleshoot problems with his or her spouse knows that that's a source of frustration. It's like, you love your work more than me, or you're escaping from me to go with your friends, or you are, you know, whatever you're gossiping about, you know, it's just like, we, we feel it, uh, in, you know, in the marrow of our bones when those loves that ought to be principal are kind of undermined by those loves that are less. So yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, one of the keys to community as a fruit of our conversation is that it's, it's like, it's about ordering one's loves. It's like about growing in virtue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's and, but, and what's, but what's crazy is that one of those loves is designed to be addictive. That's what's so <laughs> bloody difficult about it. And that, and, yeah. and so, yeah, one of those loves is a big advertising machine. Exactly, which is why yeah. I think we have to violently carve out, violently and intentionally Ooh. carve out space uh, in order yeah. to be present to others. That's my goal. Boom. All right, well, typically these episodes are about 30 minutes and we're beyond that, so <laughs> thanks. Go. 
Thanks for joining us. But um, <laughs> cool, cool things on the horizon for you. I know you just, uh, you're publishing a book here. So you want to tell our listeners about that a bit? Yeah, so I wrote a book called How to Be Happy, St. Thomas's uh, Secret to a Good Life. It's with uh, St. Paul Senna. Uh, no, Emmaus Road. I know the name of my book of the publisher. Shut up. <laughs> Emmaus, Road. <laughs> Emmaus Road Publishing is on Amazon. Yeah, I'm happy with it. It's uh, just, yeah, it's certainly not based on my wisdom, but just seeing what Thomas has to say about what we're made for and two different types of happiness, the happiness we can expect in heaven, the happiness we can expect in this life what things we keep thinking will make us happy and why they can't, um, remedies for sorrow, the virtue of play. And so it was a fun book to write. And uh, it'll be on Audible, I think, in the coming weeks. Uh, I had to read it recently. But for nice. now, people can get the book on Amazon if they're interested. Boom. Well, congratulations on that. That's awesome. I read it. It's good. Yeah. So it receives my commendation insofar as that matters for anything. Thanks. Um, how about Father Joseph Anthony? Any, uh, any final thoughts, anything that people should know about what's up in Charlottesville, Virginia, or more broadly? No, I think, I mean, as far as what's happening here is like, as we move out, I just did a, a two weeks worth of travel and it was so good to be able to like start traveling again, but it also opened my eyes to like, yeah, we're, we're coming out of COVID and I think we're actually coming out stronger uh, it, because we, you know, looking at our parish and how many new families are coming out and how excited people are to be together again, be together in communion, worshiping God, to travel across the country just to be with each other. Like, I think there's a there's an excitement about, you know, maybe reprioritizing and getting back to the basics in, in real sense. So, yeah, we're coming out of it all. But I think, you know, if we if we continue to learn and and grow we're going to come stronger and and build each other up and that so i'm excited for all of that boom building up stronger let's go uh all right so thanks so much for having listened uh to this episode we appreciate you liking and sharing and leaving reviews um please do if you haven't yet subscribe to the youtube youtube it's like YouTube. i'm speaking in edwardian english and please subscribe <laughs> to the youtube channel um if you do that that'd be great uh, also, please pray for uh, the upcoming retreat that we have at the end yep. of July. Um, a special thanks to all of our patrons who have made things like that and increased quality of the podcast possible. Uh, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. We certainly need it. Uh, we rely on God's mercy and yours. And uh, until the next time, we'll catch you on guest planning, live planning, God's planning, all the above. All right, cheers. Thanks for listening to God's planning, a work of the Dominican friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.